think that's a tough act to follow, but I don't have to compete. All I'm doing is talking. <laughs> Since can't sing, can't play, I don't have to compete with that. A uh, couple things before we start. Uh, Terry Stinson is uh, preaching his first sermon this morning as a called preacher. Announced his call, and uh, I think he, he, as we remember last Sunday morning, he announced it by Skype. Um, the night before, he and I were talking on Facebook, and he said, I need you to continue to pray because I'm really struggling because I was asked to preach next Sunday, and our response was, what's the problem? Um, wasn't a surprise. Wasn't taking the Lord by surprise because it was planned some years ago. When he came to sunrise service out here as a lost 16-year-old, it was all in the works. When he told me one Sunday morning, when he looked at Samantha, I'm going to marry that girl, I said, you arrogant thing. <laughs> but the Lord had a plan. Uh, so he's preaching this morning. I don't know the time frame. Uh, are they an hour hour behind, hour past? Two hours? Two hours behind. So in, a, in an hour and a half, so he's going to be standing and uh, breaking the bread of life. So remember him as the day goes on. Remember Samantha, who's having the hardest job, and that's lifting him up. Um, also... October being Pastor Appreciation Month, we are, um, uh, have honored the Freemans. Uh, Todd and Cindy are at Ridgecrest at a marriage retreat. Um, we have this opportunity to, uh, today if you recall, was we were supposed to bring gift cards from, from a supermarket for them. Didn't have a chance to do that, bring it back tonight, put it in the treasure box back there. It says Pastor Appreciation. Haven't had an opportunity to give towards the retreat, put it in an envelope and just put marriage retreat on it. Um, Thursday... As George mentioned at the um, at the fall festival, have a chance to express your appreciation to them. Uh, there's a sacrifice as a pastor and pastor's family, so I uh, need to do that. And um, um, just express some appreciation because they do give a lot. Uh, the scripture today is Luke 4, 17 through 21. There's a few verses we're dealing with, but it's Luke 4, 17 through 21. And then we'll be flipping back to Isaiah and a few other scriptures. But um, as you look for that, we're going to. I'll let you find it. And when you do, if you would rise and honor God's word, please. We'll read this and then we'll have prayer. <clears throat> the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Master, you're gracious. And Father, I look back in the Old Testament, you used a donkey to speak for you, so I have to trust you to use me this morning. Pray, Father, that you'll speak truth, that your words and not mine will come out, and that, Father, you alone will be seen and not me. We love you, and we're here because you're faithful. We're here because you're trustworthy. And, Father, I lift Terry to you this morning as he starts a new adventure, as he starts his new call, Father, that you've uh, called him out for. Father, I pray as he speaks this morning, uh, his topic is where he's come from to where he is now. And I pray, Father, that it will always point to you. 
And I pray for his sweet wife as she stands by him. She lifts him up and she encourages him. Father, they're in your hands just as we are. And I thank you that you're God in Belize and you're God in Bristol. And I thank you, Father, that you guide services in Belize and in Bristol. And I thank you that you forgive in Belize and you forgive in Bristol. And you save in Belize. And you can still save in Bristol. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us and use us and give us the joy, Father, of your salvation. Because we're yours, we're bought, we're paid for. And you give us life abundant. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who's our rock and our redeemer. And the one we run to. Amen. Amen. Maybe see. Get the picture when Jesus walked into the synagogue. And it says in in, um, the the book of um, Luke a little more. It says he, he went into the synagogue as his custom was. As he was growing up. This was his home church, if you will. This is where he grew up as a kid, and he was probably one of those who were drugged, who was drugged to church, you think? You know, a lot of us say that we went to church because we were drugged there. I don't think Christ had that issue. I think he was very willing to go to his father's house. But he was there every time it was available. So it says in there, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, as he was growing up. Now, just... This at first reading, this can you can just took, look, take this too lightly. When you say the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. But let's back up a little bit and give somewhat of the setting. Generally, and two different commentaries have different had different um, layouts of the service in the synagogue. Some of them said there were seven. Some said there was ten. We're going to take the seven. Either way, the first one read from the law a rabbi. The second one read from the prophets. First one read from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. And the second one read from one of the prophets. Isaiah being one of the major prophets. Jesus walked into the, into the synagogue and he took a seat. And they had the scroll and they handed it to him. It says he unrolled it and he found the place. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm not here in my own power. The Spirit of the Lord's on me. And he goes on further to to, uh, explain this power a little bit. He says that he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord's on me, and he's anointed me. He set me apart. The Spirit of the Lord's on me. I'm not here on my own, and he's anointed me. To preach good news to the poor. He's anointed me and he's appointed me in the same manner to preach good news to the poor. I have a message. I was sent here to deliver a message and I'm not not doing it on my own power. But the Father has given me power to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He sent me to do all these things. I'm here for a purpose. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now, I'm not going to sit here the whole service, but this is different than the Southern Baptists do it. The Southern Baptist preacher doesn't sit down up here. 
But Jesus got eye to eye with them. And that was the way it was said in the temple. It's always better conversationally. It's always better when you're talking to someone about their eternal destiny to look them in the eye and deal it conversationally. So he sat down and it says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I printed this out so I could read it. My eyes aren't that good. So were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them. So that's the setting. He's sitting down and he's looking eye to eye. And listen to the audacity that Jesus had. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The audacity that Jesus had to say, the prophet Isaiah, whom these Jews revered, whom these Jews felt like was he was one of the major prophets, and he had the audacity to say, I'm the fulfillment of this scripture. I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, you know, there's, there's a time of, um, uh, I guess, honeymoon in a ministry. There's a time of cooling off. There's a time of, of adversity. Now, keep in mind, Jesus was in his hometown. And he said, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. I'm the fulfillment. And in verse 22, it says, All spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Now, that could be taken two ways. Some of them could have said, wow, this is a carpenter's son. What great wisdom he's showing. And then there was those who say, this is just a carpenter's son. It's on how you look at it, isn't it? This I went to school with him. He chewed gum in first grade. That's for elementary teachers. Dear. (laughs) I went to school with him. How can he be set apart? He's just a carpenter's son. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then others were saying, wow, where does all this wisdom come from? Because he's just the son of a carpenter. So you can look at it either way. But they spoke well of him. But then Jesus started meddling. In verse 23 of Luke 4, he said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure, assure you that there are many widows. He goes on to talk about the widow, the one that, that was taken care of was not a Jew. He goes on to speak about the uh, leper that was healed was not a Jew. So he, he basically was, was crucifying these folks, not in, a, not in a physical sense, but saying, you don't respect me. Prophets are without honor in their own country. When they come back to the hometown, they don't respect them because they may know them too well, because they just can't believe that anything good could come out of Nazareth. you remember that? Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Good grief. This is just Jesus, the carpenter's son. So Jesus had a way of meddling. Jesus had a way of, of pointing out people's sin, had a way of pointing out to them and saying, this is the type of people you are. I know your heart. So, so that's, that was the setting. That, that was where it was. Now, turn your Bible to Isaiah 60. And, and this is a continuation. This is where Jesus quoted from. Or Isaiah 61, rather. And 
And I'm going to read verse 1 again, and you'll, you'll see the similarity. It's almost word for word. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I'm going to stop there. That was what he was quoting first. Now, everything there was positive in this prophecy. Everything was positive. He said, I've come here to preach the good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's about time, George, you can tell me, what, what week do we start the Advent candles? What is it? Eight weeks from? Four, four weeks from Christmas? I missed it. So, so we're starting end of, end of November something, the Advent candle. We are signifying the first Advent when he came. That's what Jesus was talking about. Here was the first advent. I've come and I'm offering salvation to you who are bound. I'm offering freedom to you who are bound. And I'm offering good news to you who are poor in spirit. That's the first advent. But if you see it at the second part of verse 2 in in Isaiah 61, he says, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. He stopped at the first advent. But when he comes again, he's going to come and he's going to execute judgment. And he's going to execute vengeance for his Father. The first part is the day of salvation to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right now, salvation's offered. Right now, you can accept it. Right now, it's free to you. Right now, is accepted day of salvation. So Jesus was talking about the first advent, and as he sat down and he looked in the eye and he said, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And that he began to he began to teach him. Today salvation is offered. Today salvation is free. Today I'm paying the price. Now, first advent, first coming, I'm paying the price. Now it goes on to say, as I read, in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is talking about when he returns. But these, this next verse is such sweet literature, such sweet poetry. But more than that, it's a comfort to those who belong to him. Now he was writing to the nation of Israel, but listen to this. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. Listen to this. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now that was spiritually speaking, they would for repentance they would put ashes on them and they would they would weep and they would mourn and they would try to get forgiveness of their sins. Never knowing if they did enough, but Jesus said, I'm going to give you a crown of beauty. You're going to wear a crown of beauty, a crown of forgiveness, a crown of cleansing instead of ashes. And if any of you have been around Catholics on Ash Wednesday, they have a ash cross on their forehead. And I worked with a man at Frizzell for some years and, and he and his wife were, were devout Catholics and he would come in Wednesday and have ashes on his head and we'd have an opportunity to talk about it. And you know, Of course, I'd offer him a wash rag to clean his head so you got a spot on your head. But this was, we just had a, had a lot of fun because we both knew the Lord and we could, we could rejoice in that. But he was saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to have ashes. 
I'm going to give you a crown of beauty. And then he says, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Mourning is a gut-wrenching time, if you will. But he said, I'm going to offer you oil of gladness. I'm going to offer you something that's going to lift you up when you're so broken and mourning. I'm offering that to you. And then he says, a garment of praise. Thank you, Logan, for the praise music. Instead of a spirit of despair. Don't we want that, folks? Who wants to mourn and be in despair? Who wants to suffer in ashes when he offers this freedom? And it's not something we can pay for. Not now, not ever. But he came to proclaim good news. He had been appointed and anointed to preach good news to the poor. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Um, oak is significant in, in my family. My dad loved oak, and, and we buried my dad in an oak casket because it was his choice of woods, and he was a carpenter. And, and when we would build a set of staircases, nothing would do but oak. It didn't matter. If people wanted cherry, he would swing them to oak. If people wanted something different, he would swing them to oak. He said, this is a good, solid piece of material. And it's going to last you forever. Some of these other woods are too soft, but take oak. And his casket, was it was beautiful. And, and most of you know that that's when I came to Christ, standing beside his oak casket before we took him to the cemetery. So oak is significant in my life. And, and, and as I did some studying on that, there's an, an oak on John's Island down just out of South Carolina. And this oak is, is estimated to be 1,500 years old. A living organism, 1,500 years old. It, um, it has a drip line of 160 feet. Now, 160 feet, this part of the sanctuary is 33 feet. The new part's 33 feet. The part in between is about 45, 50 feet. Not as much as the, the width of this oak. Some of the limbs on this oak are 11 and a half feet around. The trunk's 25 and 25 feet, 4 inches around. And people come to it just, just to marvel at its age and marvel at how long it's lasted. And the, the limbs are, look grotesquely bent because they, they've grown so long and they grow down on the ground. But 1,500 years old. Long time before Columbus ever showed up. We're just at 400-some years now. A long time before the United States was, was formed, even thought about, this oak has been growing. And... Sugar Hollow. We have an oak tree there that's that's four four to five hundred years old on Resting Tree Lane. Alan, I know you know the story, but this where the the um, slave cemetery was under about two hundred twelve years ago, the first slave child was buried under that tree, and it's it's six hundred to four fifty. They they haven't given an exact figure, but somewhere in there, a large oak tree that stood the test of time. Went through the Civil War. Oh, if those trees could talk. But Jesus, or Isaiah was saying that you're going to be called oaks of righteousness. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but an oak tree is significant in my life. An oak of righteousness. Something that's going to stand the test of time. Something that's going to stand the storms. Something that has roots. Something that's going to hold up against buffeting winds. Just think of that oak and 
South Carolina that's been up 1,500 years? What's it been through? But its root system is deep enough and strong enough and holds true enough to where it stands up to the storms. And I don't know your storms. I have storms. And without roots, we're going to topple. Without roots, we're not going to be called an oak of righteousness. We'll be a broken sapling. Without roots, we're going to cave under storms. Jesus came and he, and he offered that to them. He told them in their hearing, he said, this prophecy is fulfilled today. I am the one that was sent to offer salvation. I'm the one that was sent to offer redemption. I'm the one that was prophesied about. And I offer all this good to you. Now, originally this message was going to be about trees only. But as we're talking about trees, there are several scriptures, and, and, and don't turn to these because we'll be here all day. Um, but in Luke six forty three through 45, it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by his own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Good tree, bad tree. Good tree has good roots. Bad tree has decaying roots. Where are your roots? First Peter 2.24, Jesus said he came to offer. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds we've been healed. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Trees mentioned 225 times in Scripture, and the word trees, plural, is mentioned about 170 times, or 150 times, I think I counted. Trees were significant. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Just giving you these references to see how tree ties into the life of Christ. I have a question for you. And a verse, it's Ecclesiastes 11.3. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. As a tree falls, there's no change. There's no chance for change. And I don't know where your heart is this morning. And I don't know if you're an oak of righteousness or if you're a sapling with no root. Only the Father knows that. But Jesus said He came and He offers to bind your broken heart. And He offers to set you free. He came to preach good news. He came to preach deliverance and offer it to you. Where are your root system? Is it strong enough to stand the test of time? Trees grow. Stephen and I went up and looked at a tree behind my house, or behind mom's house last year as we were squirrel hunting. And when I say squirrel hunting, we were 
we weren't shooting. We were just hunting because we didn't see any squirrels. But we were up there. There was a tree most of the way to the top of the hill, and we always called it Pregnant Peggy because there had been a, a barbed wire around, around Pregnant Peggy years ago. And keep in mind, I'm 54, and I was running the hills when I was 10, 12, 14. And right about the abdomen was a, a big, big growth around the tree where the wire had been. And, of course, there was a grapevine hanging on, so we had a lot of, a lot of fun there. But when Stephen and I went, this, this growth was up above my head. I know that's not saying a lot because I'm short, but still it was above my head. It was higher than it was. So this tree had withstood the test of times of where this growth had come from three foot up to seven foot up. But the root system was good. The root system was good and they had stripped mine close to it and, and there had been other trees falling on it. And the root system was good and it held. If the root system had been weak or if it had just been all, all rocky ground, there is rocks there, but the root systems went deep enough, it would have fallen. Tree from 40 years ago, no competition to the resting tree that's 600 years old or the angel tree that's 1,500 years old. But the root system was good. My question and my challenge is what kind of root system do you have? Is it rooted in your goodness Is it rooted in your works? Is it rooted in how much you've done? Or how good you've been? Or how many times you came to church? Or how much you gave? Is that what your root system is in? Or is it rooted in the soil of Christ who came to set the captive free? And who came to bind up broken hearts? What's your root system grounded in? What's it grounded in? Are you an oak of righteousness? I ought to have my kids say that. When I'm gone, my dad was an oak of righteousness. It'd be a life well lived. It'd be a life worth the storms. It'd be a life worth... All the circumstances that hurt. And to have my wife say, an oak of righteousness. The one who knows me most. Where's your root system? What are they going to say about you when you're gone? Are they going to say you're an oak of righteousness? Or are they going to say you're a sapling with shallow roots? That's the call this morning. And that's the invitation. Where are your roots? I'd like to ask a couple of deacons, if they would, to come front, George, you mind? And um, invitation's given. Logan's going to play, come just as you are. She's going to play because I can't sing, because Jeff left. Um, and just think in your heart. Come just as you are. Where's your root system? Let's go to the prayer.